0: I hope your uh, house parties are uh, just booming this morning. Maybe you shared some breakfast together or you're uh, getting prepared to eat some lunch together too. Uh, We're so pumped that you guys are out there meeting in your homes together. I'm sure this is a uh, a special time for you. We know it is as a church as a whole, uh, just to start connecting together more and more and being around each other. Uh, I know it's a special thing. I'm excited to go join one of the house parties ...after the service today to go eat lunch and talk more about the sermon. It's going to be really cool. So before we dive in this morning, this is a special morning. We are about to celebrate our high school graduates with you guys. They have worked so hard uh, through school. They finished high school uh, just a couple weeks ago. And we wanted to celebrate them, tell you a little bit about them and where they're headed in the future... ...so we can uh, just gather around them with support and love and help push them further... ...as they pursue their dreams. So first we have Miss Natalie Fubio, who just graduated from RCB. Uh, she plans to attend Fairmont State in her next season of her life... ...and major in uh, elementary education. Okay, And then second we have Mr. Anthony Colombo. And Anthony will be attending WVU's Statler College of Engineering... ...and Mineral Resources, where he will be pursuing a degree... ...in mechanical engineering. He also plans to join the U.S. Navy... Third, we have Mr. Jonah Williams, who will be attending uh, Fairmont State University in the fall, and he plans to major in psychology and minor in business. After finishing his undergraduate work at uh, Fairmont State, he plans on attending WVU to pursue a master's or doctorate in psychology, and then hopes to either provide mental health care or explore a path in industrial psychology. And then lastly, we have Mr. Ryan Longerbeam. Ryan plans on attending WVU also to attend or uh, to study exercise physiology and hopes to maybe even walk on the football team as a kicker. Hey, I challenge you guys, go ahead, go in the comments, show them some love and support, and let's be praying for these four students, uh, Natalie, Anthony, Jonah, and Ryan, we love you guys. We're here for you as you move forward and pursue your dreams and go wherever God's called you to be. This church will be here for you. We will love you and support you the entire way. All right, so we're going to go ahead. I'd like to pray for us real quick, and we are going to dive into the sermon today on dangerous prayers. God, just thank you so much uh, for this opportunity to gather again online this morning. God, you've been so faithful and good to us through this process as we've continued to look at your word and connect and interact in comments rather than in person, God. Uh, But God, we know you are moving in these services still. God, we know all we need is you. God, and you said we need each other too. God, help us not to get hung up on when we're coming back and when are we doing this, but help us to enjoy our community in our homes this morning and fix our eyes corporately as a community on you alone and your word. God, I pray that you would help us to apply uh, the word from this sermon Uh, into our hearts and to uh, live it out and become bold with our prayers and how we approach you, God. We thank you for what you're going to do through this morning, through our uh, message, and through our time in our homes together. Thank you for who you are, God, in your name, I pray. Amen. All right, so we are going to start a uh, sermon on dangerous prayers. Does that sound scary to you right now? It's dangerous, right. Okay, I'm not going to make you feel better about it because it is really scary. But we're going to see that we can, as believers, have confidence to pray these dangerous, bold prayers to God. So what if you were to give yourself a brutally honest evaluation of your prayer life right now? What would you say to describe it? Seriously, think about it right now. Maybe talk about it right now. How would you describe your prayer life if you were honestly evaluating it? Is it vibrant? Do you pray with boldness for God to do extraordinary things that maybe even exceed all of your expectations? See, I remember when I was a kid and I was learning to pray, and I finally started understanding what prayer was. uh, Prayer became this burdensome routine that I resented, if I could be totally honest with you. I remember learning to pray, and I resented it, and I'd be willing to I bet some of you might feel that way right now, but it's because I was so obsessed with this mental checklist of things I had to pray for. And I thought if I prayed for one thing one night, I had to pray for it the next night too. And as I continually found new things to pray for, I felt like I couldn't leave anything out. I just had this mental checklist I had to sift through every time I prayed. And I would pray for a long time. Uh, i probably prayed longer than most kids would. But it wasn't real to me. See, I was just sifting through this checklist and it was this routine and it was painful to me. I remember telling my dad about it one day like, Dad, I kind of hate praying. This is terrible. It's it's just this routine over and over and over again. And if I don't pray for this one thing, then God's not going to be in it and he's not going to hear my prayer and something bad is going to happen. It was a really warped view of prayer. And my prayers were long, but they were not intimate and they were not real. They were prayers of uh, futility, but not really prayers of faith. I was saying a lot, but I really had uh, a lack of faith in God and how big he was and uh, how he could intervene even if I didn't have the words to say or didn't pray for something. So what about your prayer life? For some of you, it might be non-existent right now. You haven't prayed in God knows how long, which speaks to how supernatural you may believe prayer to be. Some of you pray often, but uh, are you really connecting to the Father in an intimate way? Or is it just a routine part of your checklist like it was for me when I was a kid? Some of you would call yourself true prayer warriors, right? And you pray boldly and fiercely for safe travels down to food lines. Or for God to bless your fast food uh, to be the nourishment to your bodies, right? Or for all of your circumstances and, and things in your life to work out in your favor and for your benefit. Regardless of where your prayer life is right now, though, I'd be willing to bet if we're honest with ourselves, all of us pray way too safe. We pray way too safe. Our prayers don't reflect belief in a God of miracles, Do our prayers really uh, show that we believe that we serve a God of miracles who is bigger than our expectations? Our lack of boldness when we pray reflects a tiny faith and a warped understanding of how big God is. We play it safe with our prayers, but it was never supposed to be this way. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, three biblical dangerous prayers that could take us to new levels in our faith. And I'm going to encourage you guys as a family, as a house party, whoever you're with right now, and personally in your own life, to take these three prayers and seriously consider praying them. Praying these prayers is going to take us so far out of our comfort zones that we'll never be the same. But this isn't for everyone, okay? It's dangerous prayers for a reason. There are dangerous implications to praying these things. If you're praying these things with sincerity, God might shake you. God might move you. God might change you. Don't just pray these things to be uh, another member of our congregation praying this prayer together. Seriously consider, do I have the boldness to pray these things? When you pray dangerous prayers, you will be challenged. You'll be stretched and stripped and molded and changed. Dangerous prayers will expose and destroy your comfort zones. Your norm and your routine will be risked and given up for the sake of the kingdom, and that is a scary thing. And the Bible is filled with dangerous prayers that took courage to pray. But Craig Groschel says this He says we need to be willing to pray dangerous prayers because following Jesus was never meant to be safe. Now, our first dangerous prayer comes from. David, a familiar character in our bibles this is found in psalm 139 in which david asks something bold of god he says search me god search me god search me and this may not seem like a huge prayer at first i mean god is god right and he knows everything about us already But let's look at this psalm together in Psalm 139 and let's understand why this prayer is so radical and so brave to speak to God. Psalm 139 verses 23 through 24 read this. It says, search me God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me And lead me in the way everlasting. This is a scary thing to ask God to do. Really think about those words. David is inviting God into the deepest, darkest crevices of his heart to examine and uncover the depths of his sin. He's pleading for God to search his heart, which is a scary thing. See, most of us would admit that we have some sort of sinfulness living in our hearts. But, you know, most of the time we tend to either rationalize our sins or just pretend it isn't there or it's really not that bad. It's not that big of a deal compared to, you know, these other sins over here. But David understands that his heart is wicked and he is pleading for God to get in there and see all of those hidden sins that nobody else might ever see. See, as believers, we must be willing to admit the extent of our sinful hearts, just how sinful we really are, and plead for God to transform us to be more like Christ. David begs God here to know his heart, to test and know the anxious thoughts and the fears that controlled his mind. Why is it so dangerous to ask God to know his anxious thoughts? See, anxiety exposes our fears, and our fears typically expose where we trust God the least. Anxiety exposes our fears, and our fears typically expose where we trust God the least. David knew he could not conquer those fears on his own. He knew his anxiety revealed uh, the spots where he failed to believe that God's got this that he's sovereign and that he's in control of his life. And he asks God to expose the offensive, sinful tendencies in his life and to lead him in the other direction, to lead him in the way of God. Are we bold enough to plead for God to come into our hearts, to cleanse and correct our ways, to uncover our sin? Or would we rather just continue to rationalize our sins and pretend they aren't really there? David's prayer for God to search him was a bold, courageous, and dangerous prayer. While I urge you to consider praying this, remember, this isn't for everyone. This isn't a light request. Asking God to search you might mean the purging of some sin that's been in your heart for a very, very long time it might be uh, mean confronting your fear with faith it might mean stepping out of your comfort zone and repenting of your sins to become more like jesus it's a dangerous prayer but it is worth it so our first dangerous prayer search me search me god And our second dangerous prayer, we're going to venture towards praying together, might be the most terrifying of these three dangerous prayers. I think to me, this is the scariest of the dangerous prayers. Break me. God, break me. This sounds exciting, right? It sounds like everything you've ever dreamed of, to be broken apart, right? That sounds comforting, doesn't it? No, no. That is so uh, counter us, right? We don't want to be broken. We want to be comfortable. We want to be, uh, life to be easy, right? This isn't something we would typically want. We'd much rather pray for safety over and over again when we drive down the street to the gas station or uh, for God to bless our Big Macs as nourishment for our bodies, right? Those typical prayers that we pray every day. When is the last time you literally asked God to unravel the comforts of your life? To shatter your life? Or at least the last time you prayed even something as close to as crazy as this. For God to break you. Praying for God to break you is terrifying, but guess what? Just like our first prayer, it is worth it. Why? Because in our brokenness, we are forced to a greater awareness of our dependence on Jesus Christ. In our brokenness, we are forced to a greater awareness of our dependence on Jesus Christ. See, your need for Jesus will never, ever change. But your willingness to lean into him, independence, absolutely will. You need Jesus just as much now as you did in the past and as you do in the future. Your understanding of that might change. Your willingness to lean in and depend on him might change. I'd love for us to consider the words of Jesus in a uh, very familiar passage of Scripture this morning. See, the Last Supper is recorded in all four of the Gospels. And it's something we look at as a church usually once a month when we take communion, right? We have not the last few months, but we will be once we're back here in the building. And we do this because Jesus said in Luke twenty-two nineteen, 19, do this in remembrance of me, right? We hear those words a lot when we do communion, do this in remembrance of me. We eat bread and consider his body broken and we drink and remember his blood poured out. And this is our motivation for participating in holy communion. And in this act, we fix our focus on the loving sacrifice Of Jesus for all of mankind, but some Bible scholars have suggested that Jesus' instruction for us to do this goes further than just a command to take communion, but rather that it is also referring to how we are supposed to live moving forward. Craig Groeschel states it this way: He says, "We don't just remember Jesus during Holy Communion at church; we remember Him in how we live our lives." Daily, because Jesus' body was broken, because his blood was poured out for us, we too should live daily for him, broken and poured out. We too should live daily for him, broken and poured out. Jesus willingly became broken and poured out in an act of humble sacrifice for you and for me. And now we can willingly become broken and poured out in an act of worship, to Jesus, saying, my life is yours, God. Break me and pour me out and use me wherever you want to. And following Jesus means being shattered to my core and poured out in an act of worship. As I surrender my life to God's will, it is more than worth it. It's scary, but it's worth it. See, Matthew sixteen twenty four tells us in order to follow Jesus... We must deny ourselves and take up our cross. Deny ourselves and take up our cross. That's not a safe command to follow. I don't know about you, but that doesn't make me feel at ease or comfortable, right? Denying myself and my flesh and picking up a cross, that's scary. And the very next verse says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But those who lose their lives for the sake of Christ will find it. Again, that's not a comfortable, easy truth pill for us to swallow. But look at the gospel with me. The gospel from start to finish is a message of brokenness. The gospel is people choosing brokenness in sin, being saved by God choosing brokenness in sacrifice. Then it's people choosing brokenness and submission and service to the mission of God to save a broken world. There's brokenness all over the gospel message. We choose brokenness and sin, and then God willingly himself chose brokenness and sacrifice to save us. And then we get the honor of being broken to continue to live for him, to pour out our lives for Jesus. See, the gospel is an invitation to die to yourself and to live for Christ. And the road will be tough. The pain might be great, but it will always be worth it. Being broken propels us to dependence on Jesus who overcame brokenness on the cross. So we can fully trust in him. We find true, real joy when we submit our lives to the Father being broken and poured out. For Jesus. And brokenness isn't just something that benefits us personally either. Brokenness is a strength of the church. Brokenness is a strength of the community that you and I are plugged into here at CBC. One of the things that makes the church so beautiful is that we come together in our pain and in our sins and in our struggles, in our brokenness, we bring along with us to the church. And when we're vulnerable and we're broken together, corporately as a group depending on the grace of God to sustain us, that's when we are the strongest. That's when the church is going to change the world. It's when we stop trying to impress people with our strengths and stop pretending we have it all together. That's when we can connect in a deep and intimate way through our brokenness. So the prayer to be broken is bold, and it's scary, and it's dangerous, but it's worth it. So we're going to ask God to uh, search us. That's our first dangerous prayer. And the second one, uh, probably the most scary to me, is to ask God to break us, right? Our third and final dangerous prayer, uh, it might change your life if you find the boldness and the audacity to pray this. And this prayer comes from a uh, request made by the prophet Isaiah to God when God was looking for someone to use. Okay, and what Isaiah says, Isaiah says is uh, he prays, God, send me. Send me, God. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8 says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Send me. See, some of you may be bold enough to ask God to search you, to uncover those sins and all of your fears. And some of you listening might be courageous enough to pray that God would break you for the kingdom. But this prayer to send me, it requires this ongoing, consistent obedience to the will of the Father, every day saying, God, send me where you will. Put me exactly where you want me to be. This is a request that demands a full-on surrender of your life, of your plans that you've drawn up for the next 10 years of your life. Surrender of the life that you've always dreamed about, that you're trying to build right now. When we pray that God would send us, we're putting everything into God's hands because we know we can trust him and we trust that he will put us exactly where we need to be. That might be different than where you want to be or from where you've planned to be. But when you surrender to God and say, God, send me, you're putting your life fully in his hands, trusting that he's going to put you where you need to be. So why was Isaiah so willing to go, though? We can better understand Isaiah's uh, willingness when we read about the experience he had with God in the verses just before. Okay, let's read, let's dive into Isaiah in the the previous verses, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And this is deep stuff. This is kind of scary if you really try to put yourself in Isaiah's shoes here. Check this out. It says, in the year that King... with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Groschel says three things happened to Isaiah here through this experience with God that changed his heart and made him willing to drop everything for god's will the the experience that prepared him to pray this dangerous prayer god send me the first thing that happened is he had a genuine experience with the presence of god he had a genuine experience with the presence of god see he was moved by the presence of god have you ever in your life felt the presence of god so intensely that it changed everything. It moved your perspective from one area to another and everything started to look different. I can remember the first time I really felt like I was uh, experiencing the presence of God in my life. And I can still remember that moment, what it was like having my mind shifted to my sin and seeing how sinful I was and how great God is and his grace and just feeling overwhelmed by his presence. See, the presence of God brings us to this deep place of submission to the Father, and that's what Isaiah experienced. The second thing that happened was he had a genuine awareness of his sinfulness. He had a genuine awareness of his sinfulness. Look at the words of Isaiah as he's in the presence of God here. He doesn't say, Oh, God, it's awesome that I'm finally in your presence. It's awesome to see you. Hey, what what are we going to do today? He said, woe is me. I am ruined. I am undone. Woe is me. He is in such despair when he looks upon God because he became aware of this contrast between God's infinite holiness and the depths of his sins. The extent and the offensiveness of his sin became, uh, he became aware of this. The expe- extent of his sinful nature and how offensive it is to God became transparent and it moved him. Let me give you a little news flash this morning, guys. You are way more sinful and desperately wicked than you will ever imagine. Think right now, try to imagine just how sinful your heart is we will never be able to fully grasp the depths of our sins. They are so offensive and in contradiction to the holiness of God who cannot know sin. The prophet Jeremiah says that you and I have wicked hearts that are far more deceitful and bent towards sin than we could ever really know. And Paul reminds us in Romans 3 that there is not one man who is righteous apart from Christ. The cool thing is, even though we are far worse than we could ever imagine, which is what Isaiah started to see here, we are more loved than we could ever comprehend. And this leads us to the third realization that Isaiah had that moved him to jump and pray, God, send me. The third thing that happened is he had a genuine understanding of God's grace a genuine understanding of God's grace. See, in this terrifying account, uh, one of the angels flies over to Isaiah. And this is kind of strange here, right? But the Bible is full of strange things. He flies over to Isaiah with a uh, piece of burning coal and he touches it to his lips and declares that his guilt is taken away and that his sin is atoned for. See, Isaiah, like we said, he had this awareness of his sin and how terrible it was, but he also got a glimpse of how God's grace was so much bigger. God's grace was so much more than his sin. See, although Isaiah was so filled with sin, he saw how God was so filled with grace. God's grace was abundant. It was greater than his sin could ever have been. And God cleared his sin and his wrongdoing and covered it with this touch of a burning coal. Just like he would cover the sins of you and me with the atonement of his son, Jesus Christ. Isaiah didn't deserve the grace of God that covered his sins and neither do we. Neither do you and neither do I. But he gives it freely. And this should push us to action the same way it did Isaiah. We can have confidence knowing how good God is. We can have the confidence to pray, God, you take the lead. Send me. Send me, God. Isaiah experienced the presence of God and understood that he was sinful beyond his own repair. But he also learned that God was gracious enough to repair him at his own cost. And these truths created in Isaiah a willingness to be an instrument for God that would go and do anything for the Father commissioned him to do? Are you willing to do the same? Could you pray that same thing this morning? If not, maybe you need to seek the presence of God. Maybe you need to get alone with the Father and just plead for his presence. God, you felt so far, so distant from me, but I'm drawing close to you today, God. I need to experience your presence, God. Maybe you've yet to understand the depths of your sin. Maybe you don't quite understand just how offensive that little, small, hidden sin in your heart is to an infinitely holy God. Maybe you've yet to understand that God's grace is even much deeper, yet it's totally undeserved, but that it's greater and bigger than that sin in your heart. And maybe it's going to take you some time to pray this dangerous prayer. Like we said before, these things are pretty scary. But we've said, you know, as we've summed up each of these prayers, it's dangerous, but it's completely worth it. Three dangerous prayers that I believe are going to change our lives forever. God, search me. God, break me. And God, send me. Search me, break me, send me. Are you bold enough to pray these prayers? Maybe not this morning, but maybe later. Maybe you need to wrestle with these things. Because don't just pray these prayers to say these words because they were a part of the sermon at Clarksburg Baptist Church today. Pray these words if you uh, genuinely want God to search you, to uncover your sin. If you sincerely want God to break you, And if you're serious about God sending you. See, that can be scary because uh, you might feel like, God, I don't want to go to this third world country to do mission work. And I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that. God may send you there if you ask him. But chances are he might send you to your workplace with a mission. He might send you to a neighbor's house with a divine calling to share the gospel. And for some of you, that sounds even more terrifying. And that's okay. But if we're going to pray these prayers individually and as a church, we need to be serious about it. We need to be willing to step out of our comfort zones to see God shape us and strip us and mold us and break us. Search me, break me, send me. See, some of you listening aren't going to respond and pray that God would search you or break you or send you. Some of you will respond and some of you just aren't there yet and need to pray about it. And maybe you don't yet understand the grace of God and this gospel message that gives us the power and the confidence to pray these things. Well, this is the gospel. This is why we have confidence that we can go to God and ask these bold prayers. Jesus saw us in our sin. See, you and, our, you and I are sinful. See, mankind chose sin and rebellion against God. But in the midst of our sin, God looked down and saw people, saw children that he loved. And he wanted to make a way for us to come back to the Father. And the Bible says that God in his work through Jesus Christ reconciled us back to him. God saw that we were trapped in our sin and unable to uh, be in relationship with him and unable to be good enough on our own by our own merit. And he made this rescue mission to send Jesus Christ to come live a perfect life, to die the death that you and I deserved as the payment for our sins. And the Bible says because of Christ's work, Jesus Christ became our sin so that we could become his righteousness. Because of that act, that radical act on the cross, we can go to God with boldness and confidence, asking him to do some dangerous things like searching us, like breaking us and like sending us.